This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Omniverse. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is for mature audiences only. This episode contains discussion of gore, sexual situations, violent injury, rape, and body horror. Please listen at your own discretion. If you find our Stygian story simply scintillating, unlock further secrets at patreon.com slash omniverse media and cthulhumystery.com slash support. There, there. What, who's all these folks are coming? Merry Christmas, Grandma. Steady, Mother. My boy. Did you know that? Cut it out, Daddy. I know all about it. I brought you a Christmas present. You got a match, Dad? See, you'll have to go out and smoke. Not yet, but soon, Mother. Old Skinner's luggage will go up in smoke. There. <laughs> Daddy, the old home is safe now. <laughs> Clear the floor, folks. Mother, I claim the first dance. <laughs> for you, Grandma. <laughs> Wasn't that nice? Why, look at the hour. It's past your bedtime, isn't it? Run along now. Don't let this old voice in the box keep you up. I'm sure you have a busy day ahead of you, and gosh, surely there's some warm milk in reach to help you on your way. Just flick that dial, and we'll be here when you wake up. Are they gone? Oh, you know very well who. Anyone who'd be caught happily listening to that trick. Now, I'm no Scrooge. I've got Christmas spirit aplenty. But there's sweets enough this time of year without it being grotesquely saccharine. On behalf of WIS, I humbly apologize for my station manager's taste in holiday programming. But nighttime is my time. So let's indulge in some more complex flavors, shall we? Just a little nip. I won't tell if you don't. Fortunately, I've got just the thing to cleanse your mental palate, or more like dirty it up. Something oozy, gnarled, hissing, moaning in pain. Or is it pleasure? Something from beyond. Tonight, we continue the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's arcane advent adventure through Lovecraftian cinema in this special presentation of Cthulhu Cthomentary. 
Do you hear that? In the cruel blackness of night, an unknowable evil from beyond time cries out. What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham, and which unwitting souls, innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call, the call of Cthulhu. Welcome to Cthulhu Cthomentary. Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Luke. In this show, we often dissect various episodes of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, but even more seldom. We venture into Lovecraftian cinema and report on our findings there and offer our very own cathomentary on the things. So far, we've only done one of these, The Color Out of Space. This time, we're talking about From Beyond, the 1986 classic from Empire Pictures. It's a sort of spiritual successor to their adaptation of Reanimator, involving the same writer and the same director. That is, Stuart Gordon, the director, and Brian Yuzna and Dennis Powley, the writers and returning actors from Reanimator, Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. Empire Pictures, of course, is the company that folded and then became Full Moon. So this is one in a long, intermittent series of Lovecraft adaptations. But of course, the original story from Beyond was uh, written by Lovecraft in 1920 and first published in June of 1934 in The Fantasy Fan. It's the story of a guy who figures out that you can use a certain kind of uh, strange light and resonance to uh, see into the various like layers of reality that our human anatomy does not allow us to perceive. And of course, in doing so, encounters horrific things that the human mind should not comprehend. From beyond, I was first alerted of this movie in an article of like a list of sexy body horror movies and was like, how is there this Lovecraft thing I've never heard of? I'd known about it for a long time. Like, I saw Reanimator a long time ago, but it was just something where I never bothered to see from beyond. Having seen it now, I, I feel like I uh, cheated myself a bit. Do elaborate. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just fun, schlocky, 80s, weird horror. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on in that movie that it's like B-movie nature allows it to be that way. Now, I haven't seen Reanimator, and you have seen Reanimator. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like production and tone, where pretty close. Pretty like, close. Yeah, okay. just like different angles on things. This one's more pink and purple lights and pulsing flesh. The other one's more reanimated corpses and decapitated head cunnilingus. Well, that sounds interesting. So it's, so it's equally as horny is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. You've given me a very, uh, in, at I don't know if it's good, but at least intriguing reason to dip my toe into those hellacious waters. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's, it's not pleasant. It's just one of those things where it's, um once you see it, it's there forever. <laughs> good, <laughs> good, good. It's interesting, actually, because like, I have a, a deep love and affinity for Empire Pictures films from this era that I've seen. Terror Vision is one of my favorite campy horror comedies. I really like Dolls, which was filmed on the same soundstage in Italy that this movie was filmed. Hmm. But in those cases, like I'd say that both of those, like, as campy as they were, the production value was higher and the campy writing was tighter than this movie, which I was surprised by because this is held in some esteem. It wasn't bad, but yeah. it was like, gosh, I mean, like, I, maybe I'm just not used to, to Jeffrey Combs, but like that performance was, uh, I mean, all the performances were really stilted seemingly on purpose, but he was at another level entirely. 
of <laughs> over-dramatized behavior. I mean, maybe that's the character. I don't know. How's this stack up in the Combs uh, chronology? Well, I mean, like, the n- nice thing about the reanimator is you know exactly what you're getting with uh, Jeffrey Combs cold open on it. Unlike in this, where his character is, like, definitely goes on a journey into a lot of different places. Uh-huh. Like, in reanimator, he is a man of singular focus, and that focus is intense and insane. Kind of like your comparison to, to Nick Cage. You know, he's got some strong Nick Cage energy to him. In terms of the cathometry chronology, we went from a Nick Cage performance to a Jeffrey Combs performance. <laughs> and I'm watching Combs and I'm thinking, like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are? Because his preposterous delivery, I can tell that it's intentional, but it's not stylized. Mm-hmm. And that is where Nicolas Cage thrives <laughs> over the top extremely stylized performances yeah i'm like give me a little bit more give me a little bit more but also less <laughs> the like weird intensity really really well suits reanimator and that's probably why it's the of the two like the more i guess probably more f- famous and popular like a lot of people like from beyond but i think reanimator is at a whole nother level of like weird b-movie cult classic yeah so let's hit up the plot of the film adaptation of From Beyond, because yeah. the Lovecraft story is a short story. It's a good premise. It's a, one of those framed thing of like, hey, this thing happened, let me tell you about it, and then it's mysterious. It was begging to be adapted into something longer because it's just, it's a good idea. But in this case, the way that they've expanded this film is they invent a new character, the lead antagonist, who is Edward Pretorius, and he's the scientist who's developed the resonator, and then his assistant is Dr. Crawford Tillinghast, who's the character from the actual short story. Yeah. And the backstory therein is that you don't get until kind of the middle of the movie is you sort of get the feeling that Tillinghast is this kind of like doting subordinate who's kind of getting like abused or doesn't speak up for himself or something. He feels impotent in his own way. A bit of a Renfield. Mm-hmm. 100%. And... Meanwhile, Pretorius is this like overbearing, not exactly like macho character, but he's he's strong willed and he is into BDSM on the dominant side of that and is a little condescending. But you, you really don't get a sense of what their relationship is because almost immediately they turn on the resonator, <laughs> uh, a bunch of like weird fish come out and uh, then Pretorius gets his head twisted off, but his mind is uh, taken off into this other realm and uh, and he lives on in a, in a very different form. But they have a weird, weird relationship. So I've, got, so I've already gotten in the weeds because it's kind of a pretty weedy story and, yeah. and not much of it makes sense. So uh, Pretorius dies and Tillinghast is naturally blamed for it. And so far as law enforcement goes, he gets committed. And then they introduce Dr. Catherine McMichaels, who isn't 100% convinced that he's insane and in a preposterous leap in plot says, oh, we have to rebuild this resonator because, uh, oh, oh gosh, his pineal gland is in fact enlarged uh, because it's the pineal gland, which is the sensory organ that will allow him to perceive what is beyond. Of course, after uh, Tillinghast has to explain to her what happened and the uh, the line that I think is pretty divisive, I don't think you liked it as much as I did. <laughs> His head was twisted off like a gingerbread man. Yeah, I mean, mm. I think that that was that line was important. <laughs> it was important in letting me know w- at what level of seriousness I could take the movie, and the answer is pretty low. <laughs> but you know, good on them. They that was a uh, the even even the framing of that shot was was as strange as the line. Yeah. 
<laughs> so the other character that's important here is Detective Bubba Brownlee, who is uh, assigned to watch over this weird operation as this doctor oversees this potentially schizophrenic murderer. They're going to rebuild a machine. And, and I, why, is, why is any of this allowed? It doesn't matter. It just it just just it just happens. So work with it. He's in there because they don't know his condition. She's uh, an expert in the psychiatric field that they think is related to his problem, and so she's like, "I think I can prove that he's not crazy." And uh, so let's solve a murder, I guess. Yeah, got to find out. I mean, who knows? There could be a monster out there twisting off people's heads. Could be like a gingerbread man. <laughs> Doctor Catherine Michaels is played by uh, Barbara Crampton, who is also in Reanimator. And uh, Detective Brownlee is Ken Forey, who is in the original Dawn of the Dead, and a lot of other cool stuff. And looks like he's having fun hamming it up. (laughs) He is good at what he does. And what he does in this film is mostly say the practical, reasonable thing. Um, (laughs) A lot of that. Yeah, just like reacting to, wait, why are you doing this? That's stupid. We have to get out of here. Like, make all this stop. But of course, no one listens to him. This movie, okay, so it is sexy, but it's not it's it's really it's in this in the grand style of especially 1980s but most horror in general it doesn't know what it's saying there's a lot of horror movies that that have a lot to say about BDSM but don't know what they're saying and i can never tell like does this come from a lived experience of oh i'm in that lifestyle but i know i can't talk about it and everyone demonizes it so i've got to write a story like this or what and there's also a huge bunch of potential trans readings throughout a lot of the experience, particularly in the second act, because the actual like nature of the film and what the reality of the other reality is, it kind of warps like everyone's motivations change throughout the movie in oh, a yeah. lot of different ways. There's no one reading of this because there's no consistency. Yeah. It just is they go to the house, they rebuild the resonator, they all experience this stuff, uh, which is mostly like eels and jellyfish. For some reason, like that's not they were not described as sea creatures in the short story. Yeah. But... And immediately becoming aroused. Yeah. Apparently there was this one moment of like uh, a scene happens where they meet Pretorius in like his new form, which is his form, but isn't his form. But a little mushier. Yeah. Mushier. The he's... consistency of mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you, and he's naked, but you don't see anything but his butt. But then in the next scene. Brownlee says that he had a raging heart on or something like that. I think that's when they first switch it on. Tillinghast is looking around uh, kind of manically and then the, the doctor starts giving him the eyes and then uh, uh, they're kind of staring at each other and then Detective Brownlee is just watching them with this uncomfortable look on his face. I think that's kind of the the situation he's referring to at the beginning of it. But, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of a lot going on with the mashed potato Pretorius and all of that. Yeah, uh, essentially he's saying that like his consciousness collided with another consciousness and it was highly erotic and now he lives in there and he wants everybody else to live in there too and he can exist as long as the resonator's on. So if you're getting attacked by a bunch of jellyfish or something and the resonator's on, well, boy, that sucks, but you can turn it off and then all of a sudden if it's got you, say, lifted in the air, you plummet to the floor because those things that were there cease to exist. If the resonator's on, you can see them, they can see you, Problems happen. They're always around us, but neither of us can see each other or interact with each other. And uh, things just kind of escalate from there because the junkie analogy is made by Brownlee to the doctor of like, hey, you're hooked on this. Oh, yeah. Like, Later on after she switched it on a couple of times. Yeah. 
uh, and eventually like a big sandworm shows up in the basement for no reason, but it's cool looking like a giant leech. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tilling Gas gets sucked on it for a little bit until the resonator gets turned off and then he plummets to the floor, like kind of chewed on and, yeah, and missing all of his hair. With all the hair sucked from his body and uh, a bunch of like rashes. Yeah. <laughs> then the doctor has this moment of sort of awakening where she opens up the dungeon closet and gets a cool leather outfit. And then Tillingast has developed such an advanced pineal gland that it extends from his head like a angler fish. Well, I think she does the outfit even before he gets that. Yeah. But yeah. She, she does the outfit um, after the worm sucks all his hair off and he's like badly injured and is just laying in the uh, sex dungeon bed. That's where she's kind of hanging out in there. Cause it's actually, it's during the point when the detective is like, no, no, we're, we're leaving everybody. I'm going to go pack this stuff in the car, put your clothes on. And, and while he's out doing all that stuff, that's when she changes into her leather outfit and then starts to fondle the semi-conscious uh, <laughs> gas. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get back to that in a deeper analysis that's to come. In terms of like the plot layout, the rest of the, the song and dances, everyone presents themselves to be thoroughly crazy. <laughs> the resonator goes on one last time. A bunch of, I don't know, Dippin' Dots attack everybody. Yeah. And they eat their flesh. And unfortunately, Detective Brownlee gets horrifically devoured. Yeah. Really, probably the most disturbing image of may- maybe, though there's the competition it does actually get pretty fierce. Yeah, yeah, in a surprising way at yeah. the very end. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> there, it's some, there's some visceral shit, the commendably visceral weird shit that happens in this that kind of, honestly, does it make a lot less sense than a Cronenberg situation? Yes. But might it actually be more disturbing? In some regards, yes. Depending yeah. on the Cronenberg. It's got some good stuff going on in there. Yeah, like, I th- and I think that might be why a lot of people like From Beyond. Like, Reanimator is not Shakespeare, so to speak, but it's probably a tighter story. But From Beyond has, like, all this cool, crazy, like, weird body horror stuff going on to it. Visceral, like, wet, very tactile if special you, effects. If you like your fleshy, lumpy foam molds covered in assorted jellies, this is the movie for you. Yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> things get real bad. And by this time, they've lost control of it. Like the last, this time it turns on, they're not, they they don't do it. It's, uh, does it's it by itself. Pretorious kind of somehow magically reaching out from beyond. Yes. <laughs> the, the film title does get said <laughs> gracelessly. And the doctor and Tillengast end up, uh, getting committed. And there's this whole third act I really didn't expect where, uh, Tillengast with his new angler gland dipping out of his head, uh, realizes that he can he sees things in a different way now and the things that look most delicious are brains. And so he starts sucking people's brains through their eye socket, I guess. Like you do. Like you do for a little bit. And um, eventually they both escape back to the house where... Yeah, at this point she's... End. Yeah, they, they've <laughs> kind of... They've done a, a reversal where she's on the destroy it train and, and he's on the got to get back there to stop her train where it's kind of before it was kind of the reverse. Yeah. It's weird because Tillingast is always a manic character. He's always, we never really see him not be a little crazy, but his motives for his craziness shift a bit. Yeah. And gosh, all these characters are so, like, there's just, they're all troubled, except for Detective Brownlee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's so much to pick apart here in terms of a deeper analysis for it. 
one thing that gets thrown out in like the final confrontation region of things as Pretorius and Tillingast are sort of like sparring off and the doctor's like fighting back and everything. Tillingast says that Pretorius is impotent and blames that on why he's into sadomasochism. Yeah, like lashing out. And in the past, Tillingast is like, he'd have all these pretty women and then like he'd take them up and I'd just hear screams and I'd go to sleep listening to the screams. And at one point you see a video that he taped with with a lady and there's no reason to believe that that wasn't a fully consensual circumstance. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, the, the video seems pretty tame in comparison to his descriptions of it later on. Yeah, it's all pretty like, why are you kink shaming? Like, it's a weird discussion. I mean, Pretorius, we don't know what his motives are actually once he goes to the other side. Yeah. It's more, it's kind of like, it's super sexy in here. You can't understand it. Join us. Yeah. I mean, is the video the reality or is what Tillingast says about him? Like overall, given the way Pretorius acts, like it seems like Tillingast kind of, you know, description of him is this like abuser. Right. Seems like the more accurate of the two. Like maybe somebody who was making the B-roll for that other video didn't get told, don't make it too sexy. This is not supposed to be pleasant. <laughs> right. Because like, later on, as like the, let's call him like the monstrous Pretorius, like the creature Pretorius, does some pretty non-consensual stuff, very rapey, horrible stuff. And it's just hard to get a read on it because like, there's, there's, there's the characters in their world and then there's the film at large. Yeah. And at the film at large, I feel, is just as confused as any film that attempts <laughs> to address any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, because it's always, it's always like bondage is bad. And like even in, you know, even in Clive Barker stuff where like, I mean, he must be pro kink. I assume that Clive Barker is pro kink. But, you know, the Cenobites, you know, being villains, being sadomasochistic villains, I don't really, you know, it's hard to get a positive read on it. But at the same time, like this is this is the world we live in where, where queerness in cinema, especially in the past, gets relegated to this space of the monstrous. But at the same time, you can also read as kind of sexy. There are moments in this in From Beyond where it's not what they're showing you that's sexy because it's certainly not. It's like very unformed, like just kind of melty. Just <laughs> Everything's just a bit melty. But what they're saying is pretty profoundly sexy. For example, Pretorius says, it's just the body. Mind is indivisible. Bodies change. You are evolving into a being that has never existed before. Like stuff like that. Stuff that I, like as a trans person, feel pretty deeply and connect with in a way of like, yeah, no, like I'll just, I could go into the, the weird pink vibration land and I don't know, like be whatever I want, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure what that experience is. They, it's very vague. But in the third act, as the gang is all together in the attic, turning the resonator on and off, <laughs> there's a weird narrative that happens where Detective Brownlee, he's a nice guy, but he's a very hyper-masculine guy. He's got a football jersey. When he comes there to just like to oversee stuff, he brings his own weight set. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's ready to, bar with him. Put, to pump at a moment's notice. <laughs> and Dr. Catherine McMichaels is this like prim, pretty, but like confident doctor type. And then when she puts on the leather outfit in Pretorius's bondage closet, she has this awakening and she herself becomes rapey, which sucks. But she's seeing herself for the first time. She's feeling empowered in this like different way. She's gotten as like Brownlee says, like she's a junkie to the to what she's feeling from the resonator. But she's been seduced by something that promises this like change. She is not being confined to this like sense of professionalism that she's had to wield, attempting to overcome the fact that her father died in a mental institution by like advocating for people with schizophrenia. And she wants to get to the bottom of like maybe the pineal gland is somehow responsible for certain percentages of 
the schizophrenic population, like, or different sorts of mental disorders, because they are actually viewing these things from beyond. And then you've got Tillinghast, who is a, like, raving incel of a kind. <laughs> and there's, between the three of them, like, there's a, there's a potential for, like, an, a trans-ego-id, super-ego dynamic where... Brownlee is always like, hey, yo, don't do this. Don't mess around with this stuff. Everything's fine. And then Wafy put upon Tillinghast, who's like, I never get to live the life I want. Everything's horrible. Like, he's like the trans egg out in the world kind of being angry about everything because, like, nothing has ever felt right. And and then <laughs> Dr. Catherine McMichaels is, like, is the trans self that gets to step out from this experience and, like, and have all these awakenings and whatever, who then is confronted with her egg self and his problems mm-hmm. and Brownlee and his judgments when he, like, holds her against the mirror and is like, is this who you are? Are you sure? Um, yeah. And also, in a weird sidestep note, Catherine, the name that I've chosen for myself, I have also learned is apparently the cliche trans name from the prior generation, from the era of this film. That is like one of the default, are you a trans woman? This is probably your name (laughs) things, which I did without even thinking or knowing. So here we are. The Mildred or Esther (laughs) of your time. (laughs) That's that's a pretty fascinating read on it, I got to say. Like, it only that and it only yeah. works for the second act. Yeah, it totally yeah. falls apart. Yeah, well, and I mean, it kind of gets into kind of there, there's a, there's a there's a subtle aspect to it with with the doctor where ultimately the reason she wants to destroy the resonator is not because the resonator is bad. Like her whole reason for destroying the resonator is because if the resonator stays active, Pretorius can come back. Yeah. Ultimately, after she has her awakening and then kind of gets shook out of it and becomes a little more lucid, like. She's not like, I need to destroy the resonator to stop it or whatever. She's just like, if we don't destroy the resonator, Pretorius is going to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's fair because he is clearly, I don't, we, I don't know, he's a problem. He's not He's not nice. <laughs> he, he doesn't do nice things. It's His motives are, whatever they are, they're aggressive and non-consensual. Yeah. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is offering bonus content to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, including character creation and how-to-play episodes, plus cast and crew outtakes, all still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Before we watch this, I started to reread from beyond the original story and I haven't finished it yet, but I'm actually, I'm, I want to hit it up again because having seen this adaptation and I do like now I'm like, I totally understand why this landed so much for different people because it also speaks not just to the trans experience, but also in a lot of ways, like the seduction of BDSM and stepping into that world and feeling judgments about it and, and all that stuff. And it, all of these potentially positive narratives are harmed by both the judgment of the time period and then also the fact that this is a horror movie ultimately and everything is off the rails all the time. Yeah, interesting ideas, flawed presentation. Yes. It <laughs> comes up a lot when you're dealing with this kind of stuff. Never once knows what it's saying, seemingly. <laughs> but it's suggesting quite a lot and suggesting it in a way that's a lot more in spite of all the different ways that there's super gross, interesting body horror stuff in this. It is say like easier to find the sexy side of this than let's say the fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's much to be said for that. Like this could be a little bit of a kick in the pants for consciousness expansion if you see it in the right time in the right place. And it puts some ideas in your head and you're like, well, that wasn't 
but what if they did it this way? And then you go off on your own journey. Yeah, yeah. The ending battle uh, was actually crazy and super neat. Yeah, some really good puppet action special effects of just using those physical uh, uh, things, just hands tearing through body parts and writhing flesh. So like Tillingas gets eaten by Pretorius and you think, okay, well, he's gone. His head gets twisted off. So by virtue of what we've seen before, his head gets twisted off and therefore his consciousness gets absorbed and which essentially, now that I'm thinking about it, means effectively that Pretorius has had sex with Tillingast. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah, and he, he already it, said, I think, what is it? The most, it's the most sensual thing. Yeah. And I mean, I agree. Like getting inside <laughs> somebody's head like that, like it's amazing, which is, you know, part of the psychosexual narratives that are present in here without actually like exploring what that means in real life in any capacity. So that happens. But I guess let's say, let's say Tillingast's willpower is somehow stronger or whatever. So in, in the Pretorius ego monster, all of a sudden, Tillingast rips his way out of there, presenting far more as human than than Pretorius almost ever did when he presented himself in in the resonator space. Yeah. So he ripped his way out of that, and then the the Pretorius monster sort of swallows him up again, and weird little noodles, flesh noodles, like wrap him up and stick him inside again, and it just kind of keeps happening over and over again until they're like this right, like the body collapses and they turn to a writhing pile of sludge and limbs with like these like echoes of human bones and, and skulls like yeah. chewing each other to pieces, <laughs> and it's done really well, <laughs> shockingly, because it shouldn't work. Yeah, some of the special effects in here, I would say, are probably about up there with the thing. Yeah, every every so often, it's a good kind of resolution to that whole body horror thing of Tillingas kind of, you know, I guess to, to bring it back to your kind of psychosexual reading of it is like Tillingas lures the monster away, the the Pretorius monster, like he's giving himself up to it. Like he's basically down there on the floor, like, you know, come and get me. Yeah. <laughs> and another interesting thing about how it ends is that out of nowhere, the doctor, just for plot convenience's sake, whips out a big heaping pile of explosives with a timer attached like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere. She drives a van from a hospital to the house. Maybe she stopped in the middle, but where did she stop? She comes away with this timer bomb. drive through dynamite store. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, of course, in Call of Cthulhu terms can only mean that she put a lot of st- <laughs> like into her demolition skill and didn't know how to use it. But she thought, by God, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory just like Father Grandfather. <laughs> and- <laughs> And make this happen. But miraculously, she survives. And in a very interesting moment for the entirety of really the action genre, the horror genre, any of it, she has to sustain real life body horror. A body horror you listening could potentially experience moments from now or have already experienced. She jumps out of a window and her bone breaks through her knee and she has to deal with like the fact that her fucking leg is broken and and her bones are popping out of her body. Yeah. And like that's like... Yeah, for all the stuff that's come before, like pineal glands popping out of people's foreheads and people melting and changing, like that moment is just all of us sitting there are just ah. Oh. Yeah, it really turns into like <laughs> that moment makes it turn into this very interesting and complex analysis of the body horror genre because here for once they're showing you a livable body horror and that almost never happens. Yeah, just just simple thing of. Oops, I jumped out of a third story window and 
pop my bones out of my legs. Like, yuck. It, it just lands with so much impact in a way that you wouldn't expect <laughs> after this. <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We'll be here all night. <laughs> and then from that complete experience from the past several days of torture, she is clearly gone 100% insane. Her yeah. sanity roll failed. <laughs> In fact, I think it would be really kind of interesting to do a reading of this. Like, let's create stat sheets for all these characters <laughs> and then judge where their sanity rolls were at different points in time see how like to, to validate their reaction you could totally do it like in sort of sort of like reverse engineering this movie like here's how this would have played out mechanically if it was a game and it would it would work 100 <laughs> percent including all the weird leaps in logic of like okay my character's doing this now because you know the person playing that character got bored and they are uh, their character pivoted ridiculously <laughs> <laughs> and then with Tillinghast in this movie, just like he's suffering from the gland, like increasingly over time, you can see each exposure to it is like worse and worse for him. You're going to eventually get your unlucky bad roll. And now, now you got a tentacle out of your forehead. <laughs> and how well can you control it? Well, what's your power rating? <laughs> I think this is a good example of that. Probably better than uh, Color Out of Space like we saw before. Because this one is, I mean, they're specifically investigators. Like, True. Like in this, like, you know, it's there's a literal detective. There is there is a psychiatrist trying to figure out what is happening here. And then there's someone who's had a horrible mythos experience in their backstory. Like these would these would easily be just really good Cthulhu modern day investigators anyways on their own. Yeah. Gosh, it would kind of hmm, it would be an interesting psychological experiment to take three people who have never seen this movie and do not know this story and give them character sheets based on these characters and see what choices they make into an alternate reality of From Beyond. <laughs> oh, man, that might be fun. <laughs> I don't know that you're going to get the same degree of, like, fleshy horniness <laughs> in it, a game. I mean, that's 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 the that's part of the beauty of the casting process. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta get those, get those RPG consent forms signed. Uh, we'll say like the moratorium is we only are casting people who do not want to fade to black. Uh, <laughs> it's complicated. It'll be uh, this is triple X mystery program coming soon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but what I do know is that I want to reread the story and I want to really think about what one could do with it because like the the ethos of mystery program is everything that Lovecraft wrote is true in terms of like the content of the stories and then everything that is in our stories like also happens so i'm curious in what ways the story of from beyond could mutate within a non-disruptive scope of mythos to further explore maybe healthier perspectives on um well, here, let me, this is, this is where this came from. So, I, so like I said, I was re partially rereading the story. And here's a quote from it. What do we know of the world and the universe about us? Our means of receiving impressions are absurdly few. And our notions of surrounding objects infinitely narrow. We see things only as we are constructed to see them and can gain no idea of their absolute nature. With five feeble senses, we pretend to comprehend the boundlessly complex cosmos, yet other beings with a wider, stronger, or different range of senses might not only see very differently the things we see, but might see and study whole worlds of matter, energy, and life which lie close at hand, yet can never be detected with the senses we have. We have always believed that such strange, inaccessible worlds exist at our very elbows. And now I believe I have found a way to break down the barriers. And I am not joking. 
And what's interesting about that is that could also be a, a conversation about meditation or any consciousness expanding drug or any kind of way to reach beyond. It doesn't have to involve, you know, angry jellyfish. <laughs> and certainly, of course, in, in the Lovecraft universe, it involves creatures that I feel like in this, in the, from what I remember the story, the way that they interact with our material reality is not necessarily in any kind of actual malignance, but simply that, that the two should not have met and that they don't work well together and that sort of bad things happen because the, these matters were not meant to be exchanged. Mm -hmm. But I think there's an opportunity to take these same intentions and to further explore what that could mean within the scope of the mythos both horrifyingly and then also to the point of what I like to do with mystery program, which is not every creature is horrible and not every experience is bad. It's just different. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the big things with it is kind of like uh, RPG characters in general, like just because they, they come to an end as player characters, like that doesn't have to be a bad end, even if they're washed away on the in the uh, torrent of existence. Yeah. Uh, leaving no physical form behind or something like that. Like that's not necessarily a bad end. Yeah, and, and, and one of the reasons I really, really wanted to watch From Beyond is because I've been taking in a lot of body horror lately because I'm working on a bunch of projects that involve body horror. Body horror typically presents itself in ways that are inherently like homophobic, transphobic, and ableist. They approach a lot of themes about like what the body is or should be and has a lot of like absolutionist ideas about the lived experience of other people that... You know, like when you turn it to like, well, a monster's trying to eat you. You're like, okay, fine. That's, that is what it is. But the sort of macro lens on these things tends to skew in a way that I often find to be like quite sexy or interesting, especially like when I was a younger person and didn't know much about myself. There felt like there's, oh, there's something there. It's just like, this is telling me something. There's sort of an, an awakening quality to like, like the consciousness expansion of your body as you perceive it does not have to be, it is not a solid state. All of our media and all of our society invite us to dismiss the notion of change, but we are constantly changing. Change is the only constant and our bodies are constantly mutating and growing and developing. And like even movies like M. Night Shyamalan's, uh, what's it called? Older, the, the beach where you get old and, and die. I have not seen it yet. I haven't seen I it yet either. But like, so that's considered a body horror film. But like, it takes the premise of aging and makes it in such a way so that if you're, say, a child, all of a sudden you have to deal with having an older body and that is, because it's abrupt, it's horrific. But being old, Though, you know, certainly there's plenty of dangers to being old. It doesn't have to be a scary and horrible thing and you don't have to hate yourself for it. But so much of our society is built around hating yourself because you're old. It's all very complicated. And From Beyond both invites you to get turned on by body horror and then also says, yeah, but it's bad. Slap your hand. <laughs> how, how naughty of you to grab a hold of that. Yeah. And since we literally just watched it, I'm still forming a lot of thoughts. Maybe some of this, like... Coming in with a, a more modern lens on it, I think people probably take it a little differently now than, than it may have been taken at the time. Kind of like what I mentioned where she really wants to destroy the resonator because of Pretorius, right. not because of the resonator itself. And Tillinghast is deliberately eaten. Like he, he consents to that. And that is what overcomes Pretorius. So like, I don't know, like there's... I guess, you know, it could be reading too much into it, but but there are just elements of that there that I think make it a little more redeemable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you said, it doesn't know what it wants to say. It was was it probably wasn't made to deliberately address a lot of that stuff. So of course no way, it's gonna yeah. be 
uh, a mess. <laughs> but it's always interesting to me when something can have so much allegory built into it when presumably written by like cis and, and heterosexual people and yet somehow so queer in its own way. And I think that speaks to sort of like a lot of what's happening in the subconscious of folks. Like yeah. a lot of these things come out from the people it comes out from due to like subconscious interference, like in, in a lot. Well, interference probably isn't the right word, but like, you know, projection, let's say. And I always find that intensely fascinating. There's no real greater statement there. I just find it to be very interesting. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Maybe we'll have to take in some more body horror and kind of compare it, compare and contrast. No complaints there. The more the, more, the better. I take in the body horror of old so I can make the body horror of new, which is almost exclusively sexy and good and not sexy and bad. But there is a 2013 movie, which I only found out about today, Banshee Chapter, loosely adapts both from beyond the movie and from beyond the short story into something perhaps legally distinct from either. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I haven't even watched the trailer yet, but it's out there and it's more modern. So I am quite curious. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. So we'll see what happens um, with further journeys into Lovecraft cinema and we will see you next time. Adios. The Cthulhu Cthulhu Arcane Advent continues next week, and it's a momentous occasion, folks. This is the big one. Thrill, as our showrunner Catherine Blackett finally views the Lovecraftian cinema classic Reanimator and sees what all the fuss is about. Brace yourselves. You are about to behold a woman forever changed, transmogrified in the luminous lime green light of the reagent before your very ears. And the journey doesn't end there. As previously mentioned, this arcane advent to horrify the holidays is a battle fought on two fronts. There are the episodes you're listening to right now, and there are those debuting exclusively to our supporters on Patreon and supporting cast. In an all-new recording out now, Cat Blackard and Luke Stram return to the cinema mythos of Gordon, Yuzna, and Pauli in their adaptation of The Shadow Over Innsmouth, Dagon. And they're impressed with what they discover. But don't take my word for it. Hear it for yourself, straight from the Shugoth's beak. It is shocking in its quality and content. I think this is, of all the, like, Gordon, Yuzna, Pauli movies, I know why this isn't everybody's favorite, but I think this is the, of all the ones I've seen, the best Lovecraft adaptation and the most fully rendered horror movie, pure horror movie that they've done. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Again. This Dagon discussion is available to our initiates over on Patreon and supporting cast. Head to CthulhuMystery.com support to pick your poison, join our community of listeners in bringing our Sinister series to life, and unlock myriad arcane audio tomes. Now, onward, into this not-so-silent night, ye radio rapscallions. If I don't see you through the week, <laughs> I'll see you through the window. Thanks for listening to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. This series is made possible thanks to the generous support of our producers, Amber Devereaux, Becky Scott Bailey, Bob Hogan, CB, Joe Tank Ricciardelli, Josh King, McDribble Deluxe, Miola MK86, Patrick Webster, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Red, and our executive Patreon producers, Big Bad Shadow Man, Marcus Larson, and Jamieson Malone. 
You can join the team at CthulhuMystery.com slash support. And if you enjoy this podcast broadcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Spotify. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery program is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida, and Louisville, Kentucky, on land stolen from their indigenous people, the Timucua and Seminole, and Shawnee, Cherokee, Osage, Seneca Iroquois, Miami, Hopewell, and Adena. Acknowledgement of the first people of these lands and the lasting repercussions of colonization is just the beginning of the restorative work that is necessary. Through awareness, we can prompt allyship, action, and ultimately decolonization. For links to aid indigenous efforts and to learn more about the First Nations of the land where you live, visit CthulhuMystery.com slash landback. Our original score is composed and performed by Ryan McQuinn and Mike McQuinn of Neon Dolphin. Home for all your custom music needs and more, NeonDolphinMusic.com. This has been the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Good night. Omniverse. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Dum Dums and Dice would like to welcome you into the Mythos Mysteries, a live play pulp Cthulhu podcast where improvisers and comedians venture into dangers beyond their wildest imagining. Our story begins with two erstwhile companions on a long and winding road. They think they are fleeing danger, but greater horror awaits them when they arrive. For they are not just running away from mortal danger, but towards the Mythos Mysteries. Whoever you are, we're not scared of you. You hear a voice from inside that says, Please, help. I'm inside the dresser, help. Now I need you to listen to my very explicit instructions here, Adrian. Okay. Please ready your punching fists. Yeah, they're always ready. Now I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to open the door. Okay. And we're going to look inside the dresser. What if we don't? Could we not? (laughs) I need you to be brave for me. Okay. You were always very brave. Okay. Okay. So we're going to open the door and you're going to look in the dresser. And then what? And then if I tell you to. Yep. We're going to punch it. The dresser? You said I had to be very, you said explicit. If there is someone in the dresser. I'm punching. We're going to punch him. What if it's a ghost? Well, then we're going to have ourselves a fun time. Like a party? (laughs) Like a birthday party. Okay, so we'll do some dancing and there will be a cake. Hopefully the ghost brought it. Yes. Okay, I can do this. Okay. I'm going to open the door now. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to open the door. You open the door and the dresser is... Back upright, all the drawers are back inside, but now it is next to the window, and the bed is in a different corner. Of course it is. And the blood is pooling on the floor instead of the ceiling. It's dripping up. The Mythos Mysteries. Episodes are available now.